2: Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. Today's episode is dedicated to Broadway. Yes, if you are a Broadway person, you are required to say Broadway exactly like that. And the timing couldn't be more perfect because the 75th Annual Tony Awards, hosted by Oscar winner and Tony-nominated actress Ariana DeBose, is right around the corner. So today I'll be chatting with two very exciting Tony nominees, Michael R. Jackson, the playwright, composer, and lyricist behind A Strange Loop, and Matt Doyle from the newly reimagined Broadway classic Company. You know the one, the one by Stephen Sondheim? I mean, no big deal, right? (laughs) I mean, I am so excited for this episode. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back.
0: slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
2: The musical company is a Broadway classic. When the Stephen Sondheim and George Firth musical first premiered in 1970, it picked up a record-breaking 14 nominations, winning six. It's been revived since then, but never liked the production that's on Broadway right now. The new revival features gender-swapped characters from the original. Sondheim personally oversaw the changes to the show before he passed away in 2021. I spoke with Matt Doyle, who just picked up his first Tony nomination for playing Jamie, about what it was like meeting Stephen Sondheim and how how in the world he keeps it together every single night, standing next to a Broadway legend, Patti Lapone. Oh my god, Patti Lapone! What's so interesting about this production of company, there are a lot of things that are yeah. that's interesting about this production of company, but what makes it different from the rest, obviously, is sort of the recasting and the sort of gender reversal of a lot of the characters within this version of company. Why do you think that, why do you think this production of company is so unique? Not just because of the gender reversal, but in general. I think uh, Marianne Elliott
0: is what makes this uh, production so unique. Her perspective on... Uh, company as a whole is really really what helped shape us she's brought it into a contemporary setting obviously she's flipped many of the genders but um you know this this woman and this director she has such a way with actors and uh allowing a safe space uh for us to work in and really kind of access a much uh deeper place than I think many of us have, have been to, whether it's our comedy or our dramatic acting. And she's brought so much out of the text and out of these characters that I haven't necessarily seen before. And it's been mm-hmm. such an honor to be able to work with her. And I've been so fascinated by what she's done with all these characters, mine included, and yeah. and uh, some of the really, really brilliant pieces she's she's brought to the front.
2: Tell me a little bit about your character, because I know Based on just what I have seen, I've seen company before, but I, in past productions, but your character is definitely out of 10. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: my character is uh, the character of Jamie, uh, formerly known as Amy. And uh, it is a groom who's having a mental breakdown on his wedding day and sings the big song, Not Getting Married Today or Getting Married Today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's having a panic attack on stage. And it's one of the most well-written panic attacks I've ever, ever come across um, mm-hmm. and has this complete mental breakdown and hysterics. And the song just builds and builds with more and more rational thought. And until we kind of reach this cacophony at the end and, and it's followed by a very hysterical uh, scene where uh, Jamie keeps pushing his wonderful, loving partner, Paul, away and further away, mostly out of just the fear of, of
2: ruining this man's life because he's such a disaster <laughs> wait so it, i i mean I, I hate to ask this question because it feels awkward considering yeah. what you just said but what do you relate to jamie how do you oh, relate to Jamie? <laughs> so i i've had an anxiety disorder and
0: panic attacks my whole life i've dealt with anxiety in this way um my entire life in that same kind of self-sabotage all the time. And I was so excited to be able to play this part because I get to bring so much of myself into it. And I identify with this character on such a deep level and know that kind of self-loathing and that fear and not wanting to hurt people and not believing that you're deserving of that love. And I think right now, it's so nice to remind people that we all are. We're all deserving of a Paul and we're all deserving of somebody who can see past all of flaws and see straight through to who we really are. Totally. What
2: like, what I think is so interesting right now with Company and a bunch of other shows that are on Broadway right now yeah. is that there is a real focus on celebrating the growth of diversity in Broadway shows. There's still yes. a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's it's really refreshing to see action happening on Broadway that isn't necessarily happening in film and television all the right, time, right. which is really exciting. I wanted to know what you think about sort of how company is a part of this sort of real awakening of diversity on Broadway.
0: It's a thrill to be able to be a part of it. We have a really diverse cast, obviously, and uh, several people of color within our cast, but also it is a female-led show that was historically a male-led show. And to have this uh, feminist spin on this musical and see the perspective of a woman turning 35 Mm -hmm. and what that means for a woman, that it's so much deeper than just the pressure of getting married. There's also the pressure of a biological clock that we don't talk about. And then uh, my character playing a gay male on stage right now, you know, it sounds like, of course, there's so many gay characters in the media right now. Well, yeah, sure. But this character wasn't gay before. Yeah. Gay marriage wasn't legal in the last, uh, the last time it was revived, just in 2006. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we're in this era, you know, as we wake up, uh, given the news that's going on with the Supreme Court right now, yeah. we're in this era where rights are being taken away from us. So it's really important to remind people uh, of this right of gay marriage and also remind people how similar we all are and that we all yeah. are deserving of the same equal rights
2: it's really poignant to see that happening i mean just considering everything that's happening right now like yeah. you said with the supreme court and i mean I, I lived in california i i live here now i'm here now yeah. but <laughs> it, when, when prop eight was a thing and how when prop yeah. eight passed you know marriage was legal in california and then yeah. suddenly overnight it wasn't legal anymore. And right. that feeling of rights being taken away immediately and having media and Broadway, et cetera, represent sort of the change or the future that people, the statistically, people want to see in the world. Absolutely. Is really refreshing.
0: And I always say, you know, it's not just about, and I'm thrilled that uh, gay men and gay kids everywhere are able to see themselves in my character, but I also am even more thrilled that uh, people who might not be supporting of these rights are able to see themselves in my character as well and understand this character uh, on a different level. And that's why it's so important to uh, take a character that was traditionally something else, a, a straight woman, and turn it into this so that we recognize that it's it's the same anxieties it's the same fears it's 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 just as relatable
2: and being able to have that done with so many other broadway shows you know you you look at like like why couldn't i mean love funny girl right now but like it could be an all-black cast or hello dolly in the 70s that had a great production all-black cast so there it's possible that the shows that we love and know can be actually changed in a different kind of way to reflect different audiences and new audiences, how we see each other. And such thrilling new
0: material right now, like with strange loop, which is uh, about a queer black man. And, um, and it is so exciting to just hear this story. And it's, it's so important to see, um, see through the lens of someone that we haven't seen through and, and listen to, uh, struggles that we don't necessarily know about and understand him. And he's so beautiful and relatable and wonderful. And and I think that that needs to keep happening, especially within uh,
2: media right now. For sure. For sure. Now the thing about company about this production company is the, it had the blessing of Steven Sondheim. He worked on the script. He helped change sort of the characters and sort of bring company into 2022. What, how, what does it feel like to be working A, just on a Sondheim musical that he had worked on, but also be his last thing, like his last project. That's insane. That must be that must be scary, actually. It is
0: scary. It is. I don't think I'll ever recognize really how profound it is. I keep trying to take it all in. You know, I, I standing there that night, the night that we learned of his passing was terrifying and heartbreaking. And I rolled out to do my song, which is a very difficult song, perhaps the most difficult song he wrote and uh, just was mortified that I would just miss one syllable, you know? And uh, that was a unbelievable night that I wasn't, you know, I've just tried to remain present for all of it, but I don't think moving forward in my career, I don't think anything will top this for me in terms of just how profound it is, especially within theater, the, uh, the last production, he worked on something he loved so dearly. And and he was such a huge champion um, for this piece and for this production. And also just being, you know, being uh, involved in, in this work during that passing and during this moment is something yeah. that I just keep trying to take in because it is, uh, it's something I, I I'll never top.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So before, I mean, because the show has a long track record in terms of, you know, it was going into production pre-pandemic and then, of course, everything happened. Do you have a particular memory with Stephen Sondheim that stands out to you? Yeah, he
0: always uh, loved the line, I'm the next bride. I, I tell this story all the time because it it means so much to me. It's the final line that my character says before he runs off. And Steven kept on giving me note after note on it. He really wanted it as big as possible and just shout up to the rafters. And I finally did it for him when we came back uh, for our second first preview on the other side of the pandemic. And he was in the audience and he came up to me after the show just placed a hand on my shoulder and said, that's it, you know, and he had tears oh. in his eyes and he said, it can never be less than that. It's, it's the most celebratory line. It's my favorite line in the show. Yeah. And he said, and now from the perspective of a gay man, it's so, so important that we see that celebration and that
2: joy. That's amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. One of the things when Steven Sondheim died, so I'm a big Catherine Hepburn fan. And one of my favorite rivalries in the history of all rivalries was Catherine Hepburn living next door to Steven Sondheim yes. and the hatred they had for each other and it's it, amazing. It, I don't know if you know about it, but it's literally whenever someone brings up Steven Sondheim, I have to tell people about it because it's my favorite little factoid of Hollywood celebrity they, culture. She
0: couldn't stand all the music he was playing. He, she was loud. He yes. had over all the like, yeah,
2: yep. could not. She and he he I don't think could stand how early she rose and what she yes, and, and her having like Michael Jackson over for dinner. I mean, yeah. like random, the weirdest neighbors I think I've ever heard of in my life. So
0: I've been to that house, uh, yeah. on another production I've worked on and, uh, he threw a party there and, uh, it was the most incredible evening and he has just games everywhere and puzzles wow. everywhere. And uh, when we left uh, an actor I was working with at the time, his name was Brad Oscar. Uh, we were all telling our own uh, experiences
2: of it. And he was like, it's like the gayest sleep no more ever. <laughs> <laughs> I went when I lived in New York, I walked by, uh, cause it was like in Tur- turtle Bay, right? Is that what it's called? <laughs> uh it, it's in uh oh gosh what would you call it what is it? the new east york neighborhood called um, yeah east 50s whatever it's turtle something and i would walk by the house sometimes whenever i was in that neighborhood their houses just yeah. to be like oh wow <laughs>
0: yeah the fights that went down here <laughs> the fights that happened the yes. banging on the
2: walls yeah insane insane well so i, I brought up 2020 uh because it i will company a lot like there were other shows too that were of course were impacted but company had a really unique perspective on the pandemic in that you were in previews. It was set to open on Steven Sondheim's birthday, which I think is yeah. March 20, March uh,
0: 22nd. Yes. 22nd. Yes. Yeah.
2: And literally the day the world shut down, like yeah. everything shut down that week of uh, yeah. in, in the world, which must have been just insane for you guys. And then what was all that like? What was that moment like for you? Devastating,
0: as devastating as it sounds, you know, we had put so much work into it for so many of us. It was such an amazing, huge moment. And it was supposed to be this massive celebration. And we got to be there for Steve's 90th and we were going to celebrate his birthday. It was just everything you could have possibly dreamt of, you know, your entire career. It all seemed like it, it had led to this moment and it was just pulled out from underneath us. And you know, as crushing as it was and as defeated as we all were, we got to at least hang on to this really special production because our producers really believed in bringing it back and our set was there and our theater was there waiting for us. And I think in a strange way, our show has really benefited from it because our relationships with one another were deepened during those 18 months that we were off and we were communicating with each other constantly watching Patty throw dance parties in her basement on zoom and getting to know each other on a much deeper level. And we're supposed to be married to one another. We're supposed to be best friends with one another. We're all supposed to have these very rich relationships. And I think that shows so much more now in the, the 2022 version, uh, than the 2020 version, which, uh, so as heartbreaking as it all was, it's really, uh, almost
2: benefited the piece in a lot of ways. I've heard that from a lot of actors on Broadway. So, I mean, other actors that I've interviewed that they, they say that the break actually made the current productions better in a lot of ways because of, I mean, I guess the hunger, Absolutely.
0: And letting go of a lot of silly fears and anxiety that you hold on to that seems so ridiculous now, you know, like a lot of the uh, anxiety I had over just performing that role and living up to other people who had done Amy in the past. You just let it go because, you know, you recognize how just fortunate you are to be there in the first place.
2: For sure. Definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, the weird thing is like when when I was reading about, because I didn't know, that it all went down that March, that week that everything shut down. I was unaware of that. And it seemed like, like the really dark sequel to like the musical TV show smash in a way It like, it seemed like, like it was like the wire version of smash. Yeah. (laughs) It was so dark and gritty (laughs) and depressing. (laughs) And it was, it's, I feel like maybe you should pitch that. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, maybe that needs to be a hit on NBC. That could be something. Um, (laughs) So I saved this for my last question for you because it's 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 actually the only question I care about and it's um it's it's the one that that I'm most excited about that I I mean it's Patty Lapone like it's yes, Patti, yeah. it's I uh, mean sure Steven uh, you know RIP Steven Sondheim, but Patty Lapone uh, <laughs> Patty so I saw Patty Lapone in Gypsy I mean I've seen Patty Lapone a few times but in Gypsy which is like was one of the most transformational experiences yeah. of theater I have ever seen in my life, it yeah. just—I think about it to this day. It's just insane. I'm so—I feel so grateful that I have that moment in my life. Yeah. So, uh, considering that you, I'm sure, are a lot like me, and that you probably <laughs> fan out on Patty Lepone in a way that is probably uncomfortable and scary for her. Right? To- you
0: see the way I'm lighting
2: up right yes, now, yes, like exactly. just the gay beaming that's yes. happening right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> holy, holy. <laughs> what? How did you handle praying at the altar of Patty Lepone and? And, and what is it like to work with her?
0: Well, first of all, I pray every day. Yeah. Um, that's the most <laughs> important thing is that we yes. make sure that she knows, she knows. That, uh, she is a goddess and a legend and everything that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel just so ridiculously fortunate. I get to learn from a master every single night. I'm actually on stage with her while she sings uh, Ladies Who Lunch. We all are. We're we're just standing there watching her. And it as is- As you should. As we should. Yes. It's a masterclass. She's just an absolute genius. It's different every single night. The way she listens, the way she communicates, the way she tastes her words and brings the audience in. It is absolutely thrilling. And I'm so- just enamored and fortunate to be there. And mm. she's so good to me and took me under her wing and definitely threw a test at me at first. I'll tell one good Patty Lapone okay. story for you. So my first uh, rehearsal, I met Patty and sat down next to her and this, we were being shown the set and they got to my number and they were showing how elaborate it was and how funny it was and all the things that would happen during it. And I'm laughing nervously because I realized what I have to take on. And Patty just turns to me and she just says, and she says the actual word, she goes, it's the funniest effing moment in the show. And then she just turns back slowly. And I just realized, oh that's a test (laughs) she's she's just bestowed upon me the gayest test of my life and i have to live that you know yes that i know know. the responsibility i have and uh luckily i I think i passed uh we're very where she's been very good to me but i i just i loved it i was like i i i absolutely take that
2: on (laughs) miss lapone what's we what's so amazing about power lapone to me is that you know there are other broadway legends like like her in that like a, like an ethel merman or yeah. like and uh, there's so many legends i don't know and and in a weird way they were always their persona was always sort of a part of the role that they played you know what yeah. i mean like that was just sort of always there whereas the difference with patty Lupone is she's a real like method actress like she's like an actor like oh she's, yeah she's not she's of course she's a personality but She's an actor and it's it's wild to watch, I'm sure.
0: Well, not only does she have this obscenely earth shattering and shaking voice, but she is an actor first. She's an actress first. And everything that she delivers in terms of how it, it negotiates her voice and and where that sound comes from, comes from her acting. And yeah. that's, what's so thrilling to watch. She's not just this beltress, this Broadway diva. She is so grounded in everything that she does. And I, I like I said, it is different every single night. I never know the Joanne I'm going to see that night. And it's so exciting. I'm never, I'm never bored watching Patty. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess really my last question is then, are you prepared for the rest of your career to be answering the question? What was it like working with Steven Sondheim and Patty Leapone for the rest of your career? I mean, I absolutely am. And I will
0: <laughs> light up like this every single time. Wonderful. Until As the day you I die. Yeah,
2: As you should. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for doing this. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you.
2: Michael Jackson is the talk of Broadway, but it's not the Michael Jackson you're thinking of. This Michael Jackson, or as his Twitter handle so smartly clarifies, the living MJ, is the person behind Broadway's hottest new show, A Strange Loop. The musical is about a black queer usher writing a musical about a black queer usher. Just like the usher in A Strange Loop, Jackson worked as an usher while writing the show, but he says that the musical is self-referential and not autobiographical. I spoke with Jackson about winning the Pulitzer Prize, which is wild to me, and how it all came about and what it feels like for the show now to have just received 11 Tony nominations. I am just so excited for your success. Like, insanely so. How how are you feeling right now? That's my first question. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling busy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel good. I feel it's a really exciting time in my life and my career and I'm grateful for every moment of it. I mean,
2: I, I've known your work for, for a while. I've been following this. I've of course been following since of course the, the, you won the Pulitzer, which, you know, like that's, (laughs) which like is insane that, that the, when the, when the, what, what did you feel like when the Pulitzer prize was announced?
1: Um, it felt like a complete surprise out of nowhere for me personally, because it just was not something I was expecting in general. Yeah. And I especially wasn't expecting it at the very beginning of a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. mind was like so in another place on yeah. May 4th, 2020. So.
2: I'm sure. I'm very, I'm very sure about that. But that's such a wonderful validation. And now, of course, 11 Tony nominations. I mean, it's 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 interesting to think that now, do you think if this show was produced 10 years ago, considering the changes that have happened on Broadway and there's been definitely, I feel like more of a focus on uh, diversity and inclusivity and a lot of different things. Do you think that this show would have been produced 10 years ago?
1: 10 years ago? Probably not. But I also think that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been in a place to to fully write it the way that I, that it, I think it needed to be written.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you think that?
1: Because there still was a lot of personal growth that I needed to do in my life, which then translated to how I understood Usher's life mm-hmm. and, and what his goals were and what he was trying to represent.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and it just would have been a totally... It would have been the same in a lot of ways, but it would not have been, I think, as deep and as complete uh, an artistic expression as it as it is today. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's you worked on it for, what, 18 years, you said? I 18 think read,
1: years from start to Broadway.
2: Which I don't think I've done anything for 18 years other than maybe be like a fan of Twinkies or something. Like, I, <laughs> I, 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 I can't even think of that commitment level for... 18 years and to stick with it, like, were there ever times that you were like, this isn't going to happen? No, I, I'm putting this aside. I'm, I'm going to do something else.
1: Well, I definitely had many moments where I thought it wasn't going to happen, but it not happening did not make me want to put the piece aside mm. because it actually made me want to work on it even more because there were no stakes. Yeah. and I could just explore it to the sort of nth degree because it started as this monologue that was just a thinly veiled personal monologue for me trying to make sense of my place in the world and so trying to find my place in the world was not a journey that ended just because it wasn't produced on a stage
2: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and it's you you've said up elsewhere that it's not autobiographical but it's self-referential what do you mean by
1: that I would, if I were to use the term autobiographical, I would describe it as emotionally autobiographical, which is to say that I have felt everything that Usher feels. Yeah. But the events in his life are not necessarily a one to one ratio of events to my life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, there, the, the other thing that I read, which was so interesting, was that there, The progress, a lot of the progress, and sort of why it took 18 years was you were also dealing with, like you said, so many of the things that you were finding yourself and finding your own development and a lot of self loathing and sort of, which I can so relate to on so many levels. I mean, the fact that this show represents, I think, so much to so many different types of people. I think that's what's so amazing about musical theater is that, like, sure, this is a character that's like, quoted as big black queer ass American musical. Like that's what this is. And yet I think so many different types of people can see themselves in Usher. How have the, how has the response been from different types of people to this musical? Like what have you been hearing?
1: It's been really beautiful because invariably, and this also happened when we did it off Broadway at Clare's Horizons is People from all walks of life will come up to me and they'll say either, you know, I felt my I've never seen my story represented on stage. That is my story or I feel so seen or, you know, thank you for telling our stories as black gay men or black queer people or never in that spectrum. And then there'll be other people who will say something like, you know, I'm not a black gay man. I'm not queer the white woman on the white man on the whatever whatever mm-hmm. and the show really spoke to me and made me think and it challenged me and it like made me feel emotions I didn't know I could feel there was one um, this older white man well, I don't know if he was older but it was like this white man who came mm-hmm. up to me recently and said that he had really struggled with his family accepting him uh, as gay and his family for many years and then he peaked for however convince some of them to come with them to the show and Mm. them coming to the show helped begin a dialogue in their family. Yeah. That's very powerful because again, this is a very specific story about a specific human being. Yeah, And yet the things that he goes through and expresses how he feels can reach across the bow and other people can grab hold of it and they can, use it for whatever they use, need to use it for in their own lives. That's, that feels like such a win to me, especially in a world where there's so many disappointments and, you know, our political system and yeah. social media nightmares and, like, just yeah. everything that's going on in the world that there's still a human-to-human way of communicating something and, like, helping other people emotionally that that means everything to me
2: yeah yeah totally i mean there's there's a song in the in the musical called inner white girl um and it's it's so interesting cuz it's so specific to the character and it's so reminiscent of what the character is you know trying to express and I, you really feel that but similarly i mean i'm not a black man i'm a gay man but i i i can relate i can take something from that moment and i think so many different marginalized people in general can take something from that song and apply it to their lives. Cause we, I mean, I grew up watching like wanting to be Bette Midler. Maybe I want to be an inner, yeah. like, I want to be an inner older woman. I don't know, but yeah, like yeah. I, that you can take that from it. So what, what does that song mean to you?
1: For me, it's, you know, uh, really draws its inspiration from the female singer songwriters who Deeply inspired me on a, an artistic and personal level. Yeah. Uh, Corey Amos, being sort of my origin, mm-hmm. in her "White Girl," Liz yeah. Fair, Joni Mitchell—those are three, you know, white women singer-songwriters whose work exposes themselves fearlessly. Yeah, warts and all, they show everything. They say what's on their mind. They're brash. They're sassy. They're wise. They're yeah. they're cool, tall, vulnerable, and luscious. They're <laughs> they're everything. They, they 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 share they share everything that they're thinking, and they do it with such artistic aplomb. Mm -hmm. And that inspired me, you know, interacting with those artists, you know, when I was younger, and even to this day, to try to find that in myself. And so, yes, I call it the inner white girl, but it's really about an internal freedom,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. an artistic freedom in particular. But that artistic freedom, uh, the line between artistic freedom and personal freedom for Usher is very thin, um, yeah. line. and I just wanted to sort of um create a an ode to the kind of freedom that Usher would want and that I in my life had wanted as an artist and as a, as a black man.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's so I mean one of the things I also think is so interesting is just looking at, you know, modern American musicals and they're very rarely ever led by a by a queer black man and an out queer a character is out queer black man and you must be getting feedback from people uh, just because the representation of just black men in general in this country is often very uh, done in a very not so great way. Let's just say that. And, and lots, it's heavier than that, but you know what I mean? And it's, I want to know what sort of feedback you've been getting from parents of, of, of black men and, and, and just in general, like how this show is representing a take that, We've never seen before, really. And its I think it's opening up a lot of people's minds to maybe we should start talking about queer Black men, but Black men in general in a different way, in a more positive way.
1: I, I certainly hope so. I mean, definitely lots of Black queer men have come up to me and have been really complimentary and emotional and, and grateful for what the show represents for them in yeah. their lives. And also there had been mothers who have come up to me and said, I'm the mother of a black gay son or, mm-hmm. and thank you for telling this story. I learned something. This There are things about Usher's story with his parents that touched on my relationship with my son. Um, there was a white, there was a white mom who said yeah. the same thing. That was like, I didn't handle my son coming out well at all, mm-hmm. but then I came around and then I had to become his defender to other people and seeing this story really touched her. So I I do hope for sure that this, you know, to the extent that, you know, a musical can, that it does sort of open people's eyes to different representations of black men because Mm -hmm. black men are very much demonized um, in our society in a lot of ways. And, and the representations of black men are often very narrow. Yes. Even if they're straight, you know, heterosexual men. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I definitely am somebody who's interested in widening, the lanes for all uh, mm-hmm. black representations um, and black male representation in particular.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that really, what I find so personally inspiring is, you know, a lot of in queer portrayals, there's the, the everyone is always very physically fit. Everyone always. is always even if they're struggling with something in their you, life. they,
1: they, have, you, they you put on a pair of glasses and yes. then they're an outsider yes. <laughs> with their abs. They're like their abs and they're like, and their glasses and they're a nerd. Yes.
2: yes. And so to see someone, cause I've struggled with my weight my entire life and hey. to, to, see, to see a queer man on stage, just sort of embracing himself and his body and his just, but I'm also struggling with it, too. There's always that struggle underneath it all. I, the, for you personally, since, I mean, you've, you said also that you struggled. What is, what is sort of being vulnerable and showing that and being open about that sort of conversation about weight had for you in your life?
1: I just think that it's real. And, I, and it's, it really actually bothers me, the dishonesty with which people talk about how fat people or overweight people, or however you want to describe us, like how they how we how we get talked about and, and how our struggles with our weight get talked about. Yeah, because it's, it's always either like, well, you know, and I, I noticed this very much during COVID when people wanted to sort of fat like do all this fat mongering, be like, yeah. well, people who are fat are going to get COVID and die. Yeah, you know, and you need to you need to lose weight as if as, as, as if you could be like, oh gosh, I don't want to get COVID, so I better get to the gym. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. it gets me, yeah. um, <laughs> I had that I, fear. I had that exact fear, but I did too. But then I'm like, but then I also, I, but also like, looked on the news, and there was like people who, who yeah. were like very physically fit who died. Yes, yes. So like, but, but there's people never want to miss an opportunity to point out that like you're fat and you don't look the way that you should look. Yeah. You're unhealthy, and you probably have heart problems, and you have diabetes, and you're and all these yeah. things. And those things are real. Like my family, there are people in my family who are diabetic, and who have, there's weight issues in my family and stuff. Yeah. And so I mean, and I look And I many years ago got on a fitness plan. I lost eighty pounds. Same, yes, same. And even when I lost the eighty pounds, it still didn't feel like enough. Yes. And oh it my didn't God, feel One like enough percent. because of the messages that people are constantly putting out there about what fit means
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And, and how it feels. And, you know, and I'm working with a nutrition coach now mm-hmm. and like, it's a slow race. It's, 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 there's a lot of that you have to unlearn about food. Yeah. This country is not great about nutrition in general yeah, um, for people and teaching people about nutrition from an early age. There's food deserts. There's all kinds of issues, yeah. but like the worst thing is that the constant demonization of, of fat bodies and um, the way that like fitness and nutrition are not woven more seamlessly into our lives. And yeah. it, it, it's part of it's like psychological wellness.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, 1000%. I mean- but I... Then
1: meanwhile, all these like images of what fit and hot and sexy are being sold to us yeah. every second of every day.
2: And it feels like, and, and just from a queer from a, from a perspective, I mean, it happens to everyone. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's universal. This, this demonization. Yeah. Of but people. then they but,
1: take it to like a,
2: a whole other level, whole other level because you have the intimacy and body po- and like the unconventional relationships and hookup culture and all these things. And it's all about you just being a fat slob, or you become fetishized. Right. And it's, it's, it's uh, and, and what this show does, I think is it celebrates this man just being who he is.
1: Yeah. And, but he, but he's also sharing, he's sharing the good and the bad.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: You don't share the good and the bad. You're not going to know what's real.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you and can't really, really,
1: it was very important to me to just show what's real because like I'm, like you said, like, I'm not an Instagram thirst trap. I never yeah. have been. Same. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, want... I, think that I had one shining sliver yeah. of the moment when I like had my, my weight loss where I got like one s- shining moment. Yep of thirst happiness, and then it was gone like gone with the wind yes
2: i complete you have no idea how much i relate to that i had the same thing where i unhealthily lost a lot of weight and i had that short little moment where i remember i had a beard on the la subway i never had a beard before but i lost all this weight and i was like i'm gonna be a man and i had a beard and someone looked at me in a way and i was like am i a thirst trap <laughs> like Am I, am I thirsty? And then of course I couldn't maintain it because it's, it's exhausting. It was exhausting, exhausting. to stay that way. And I couldn't, it just, and yeah. And so, and, and the, now of course I gained the, the weight back.
1: About, and the funny thing about that is um, I was telling my nutrition coach um, that I looked back recently on some of those pictures from that time and I hate the way that I look. Yeah. I yeah. think that I was too skinny. I didn't look like, I didn't look like, um, like a person yeah. in my eyes. Like, I was like, oh, I lost all this weight, but it, it actually took a lot of my character away. Yeah. Of, of like the shape of my face and, and yeah. all of that. And, like, and so I'm, the thing I'm trying to find, figure out now is like, there's got to be some sort of balance mm-hmm. because, you know, I don't want to go down the road of being diabetic, like some people in my family. I don't want heart disease. I don't want any of those mm-hmm. things, but I also don't want to have to be a hamster on a hamster wheel of yes. like hotness.
2: Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god, yes. Amen to that. Well, so I have two questions for you. Lot two two questions left for you. I one of the things that from the show that I it is so personal and and you can people can get a lot of emotional realizations from this show and they can have emotional reactions to this show and I in the past I saw a couple years ago I had cancer. I'm fine now, but I was very public about it and I I wrote about it and everything and I always was struck by when you share something vulnerable of yourself in a public artistic way, people then will tell you things that sometimes you don't want to hear. (laughs) Like people, people get a little too personal sometimes. And I want to know if you have been experiencing that at all with this show.
1: Uh, I guess the thing for me is that so many people, because of the nature of how the show affects Mm -hmm. them or how, and how it plays out they just assume that it's autobiography and that like what they're seeing is me, Michael R. Jackson, a hundred percent. And so I, ha- and whenever I'm like, no, no, it, I did do some work like on this. Like I did make some art here. I, I did not just open my veins and bleed on the page. Yeah. And so I, I often have to kind of just disabuse people of that a little bit. Yeah, but it's confusing because yes, I did experience some of these things in a way, but I also made art out of it to, yeah. to tell a story.
2: And it's hard for people who aren't artists, I think, un- even understand that in a lot of ways because you know that's what we do. That's a, that's what it's, it's what you sort of you take an eye, something that happens to you and you turn it into something. You write about it or whatever. Yeah. But- most people just experience it and move on. Yeah,
1: especially because, you know, Usher is 25 going on 26. I'm yeah.
2: 41. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we're in a different space. you can
2: afford suits now? He couldn't.
1: I can afford suits now. <laughs> although I'm not looking forward to the bill that's coming.
2: Tomorrow. Oh, God. Okay, my last question for you is, so one of the things that I've noticed about, and I'm talking with, uh, I've talked with uh, Matt Doyle from, from Company about this as well, about... How it does feel like Broadway—you can use that in a universal term—is sort of leading the way in a way with being more inclusive and having more diversity on stage and telling different types of stories that maybe Hollywood and TV aren't telling right now. And it—and it does kind of feel like Broadway is doing a lot of really bold things, like with your show. That that and people are are going to it, and it's showing that it's commercially successful and. I want to know if you see that happening on Broadway. Do you think Broadway is leading the way? And, and why do you think that is?
1: Um, you know, I don't really know how to answer that question super definitively because I think that it's very subjective. I think that if, if your definition of leading the way has to do with uh, diverse racial representations or gender or whatever like that that is like one thing yeah but i but i think that's the thing that i'm most interested to see is the what like what is on stage like not just who what yeah um because so much of broadway is still you know it's a commercial business mm-hmm. and so it's about like what sells tickets and i think that like the representation piece is only a part of that. Yeah. And so I I'm, I will be curious to see if what we see on stage gets diverse as well. It's mm-hmm. who is on stage.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's You're just fantastic.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak with you.
2: Okay. Are you singing yet? I mean, I told you I wouldn't sing, but I really, I really want to sing. But... Ugh. As Kristen Wiig said on Saturday Night Live, don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. (laughs) What do you think about today's episode? Let me know. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. You know the drill. If you liked what you just heard, Please, please, please go leave a little rating and review. It really, really helps, and I would love it. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun, go see a Broadway show if you can, and have a great
1: day.